My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Most museums, you know, probably 95% of them are deeply entrenched in broader histories of colonialism, globalization, and capitalism. And as such, they're closely bound up with many of the forces that have now led the planet to the brink of ecological collapse. In other words, museums are mainstream institutions, and we're as responsible for this as any other institution. That's the voice of Robert Jaynes. He's today's guest on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Janes has worked in and around museums for more than 45 years, including as a chief curator and a museum director. He recognizes the complicated history of the museum as an institution, but he's also a strong believer in the capacity of museums to be a positive force in society. So in the context of the growing climate crisis, in 2016, he spearheaded the founding of the Coalition of Museums for Climate Justice. Now, that complicated history of museums is overwhelmingly as institutions of the status quo. As Jaynes puts it, most, quote, are deeply entrenched in broader histories of colonialism, globalization, and capitalism, end quote, and as such are bound up in all of the forces that have created the crisis that we are now navigating. Beyond that, he sees lots of immediate barriers to museums doing what he thinks they need to do in terms of the climate crisis. They're generally reluctant to ask big questions about their mission and values. Museum governance often reflects the status quo and needs to be broadened and made more inclusive. Museums are often very hierarchical and uncritically reproduce corporate forms of organization and leadership. They're generally reluctant to engage in advocacy around critical issues and lack responsiveness to the interests and concerns of ordinary people in their communities. And they often present themselves as neutral authorities, above the fray of social and political life, rather than recognizing that they're just as integrated, implicated, and obligated to figure out how to deal with all of that responsibly as any other institution. Nonetheless, as someone who has devoted his life to museums, Jaynes sees them as, quote, key intellectual and civic resources that really have a large role to play in enhancing community well-being, end quote, and that are, quote, uniquely qualified to work on this issue, end quote. At their best, he said, museums have strong historical consciousness, strong grounding in community and place, a commitment to knowledge and public access to knowledge, and substantial trust from the general public. When he circulated the founding callout for the coalition in 2016, around 70 other museum workers expressed interest in being involved, and the network has grown to something like 1,400 people in the years since. The coalition aims to mobilize and support Canadian museum workers and museums in addressing the climate crisis. To do this, they aim to build awareness of the issue within the museum community, support museums in strengthening public understanding of and response to the crisis, get museums active in public conversations on the issue, and empower museums to lead by their example. Not surprisingly, given what museums do, much of the Coalition's work so far has been educational in focus. They have a website which they use as a hub for relevant information, and they have an active presence on social media. They regularly conduct sessions at museum-related conferences, and Jane's does several keynote addresses a year on the topic. 
They put out a video series designed to help museum workers get more comfortable with the idea of confronting the climate crisis and with initiating conversation about it with museum attendees. Members of the coalition have done lots of writing on the topic, both lay and scholarly. And a couple of years ago, they issued a call to museum studies departments to make changes in the education of future museum workers that would take the climate crisis into account. Jane said that, on the whole, he's not aware of any major Canadian museum that's really taking the lead when it comes to addressing the climate crisis. As well, while the coalition has an engaged membership, it's mostly early and mid-career museum professionals with much less participation from senior leadership. Now, there are some good small-scale efforts. Some museums are working on making their buildings more energy efficient and their preservation methods less resource-intensive, and some have put together exhibits about the issue. But he and the coalition are calling for much more. They want museums to ask themselves the big questions they would need to ask, and make the internal changes they would need to make, to be able to really start playing a leading role in actively catalyzing and nurturing both conversation and action around the climate crisis. I speak with Janes about the work of the Coalition of Museums for Climate Justice. My name is Robert Janes, and I've worked in and around museums for 45 years as a director, a chief curator, a consultant, an author, an editor, archaeologist, board member, teacher, and volunteer, and philanthropist. And I guess you could say that I've devoted my career to championing museums as important social institutions, capable of making a difference in the lives of individuals and their communities. And a great part of making this difference in communities and individual lives is the notion of social responsibility. And that is that my belief, museums are key intellectual and civic resources that really have a large role to play in enhancing community well-being. And that's the thinking behind my founding of the Coalition of Museums for Climate Justice, which I personally did in 2016 with an invitation to about 70 of my colleagues to join in this work. And now I suppose it's grown to about 1,400 participants. It's basically a digital network. We don't have a CEO. We don't have a physical plant. We don't have a staff. It's a network of communication and awareness building. I began my career in the Northwest Territories, fresh out of graduate school, as the founding director of the first professional museum in the Canadian North. I was immediately immersed in an indigenous worldview. And that worldview has colored everything I've done since then because I realized that mainstream society wasn't really serving the needs of indigenous peoples and that we needed this greater sense of social responsibility. So throughout my career, I've been working on truth and reconciliation. I've been working on marginalized groups, other social justice issues. And I guess it was just sort of a natural continuum that the climate crisis would become paramount in my life. I mean, I call it chaos, actually, now, you know, it sort of began as climate change, then it became the emergency, then it became crisis, and now it's just completely chaos. I mean, it's out of control. My awareness of the climate chaos has gone from sort of the theoretical or the conceptual to the experiential, because my wife and I are partners with my son and our son's family in a permaculture nursery orchard and farm. And we are now realizing and seeing firsthand what climate chaos is doing in terms of water availability. So from writing and talking and speaking about it in a theoretical sense, it's actually impacting us on the ground in terms of our ownership of this nursery and what it's doing to our food trees. So all those things have combined, you know, 45 years of trying to make museums more socially responsible, and now this immediate reality of being a farm and nursery owner have combined to make it really a preoccupation in my personal and professional life.
did you come up with the idea for the coalition and what was involved in turning it into a reality? I came up with the idea because of the fact that there are 55,000 museums in the world and 2,500 of them are in Canada and the vast majority of them are sort of standing on the sidelines claiming neutrality. That is, that they interpreted that climate change, climate chaos was a political issue, and museums shouldn't get involved in political issues because it may alienate a funder, it may alienate a donor, it may alienate your audiences. And I got pretty fed up with that attitude, which I heard from a lot of my senior colleagues, because climate change is not a political issue. It's a moral, it's a scientific issue, it's a justice issue. The science is in. I mean, 98% scientific consensus on the fact that climate chaos is caused by us, by human beings. And so I guess the coalition was a sort of expression of my impatience with my professional colleagues. And I thought that I needed to make an extra effort to communicate the urgency of this situation. Because, I mean, I did this in 2016, but we've known seriously about climate change for 30 years. So I finally said, I got to do something. I wrote to these 70 colleagues. They said, would you help me form this coalition? It's just proposed as a network. It didn't even have a strategic plan. And 70 of them signed on and said, yes, we would like to be involved in this. And thus began the coalition. As I say now, largely because of social media, it's grown to a sort of an uneven network of 1,400 participants, mostly Canadian, but some global, some international. What was the process of going from those initial 70 signatories to developing a clearer plan for what you wanted the coalition to be doing? We put together an advisory group of some colleagues that were particularly interested in getting this going. And we had several online sessions because we don't really have a budget. We're all volunteers to develop a mission and to develop goals and guiding principles, which we did. The mission, I mean, it's fairly straightforward. The coalition mobilizes and supports Canadian museum workers and their organizations in building public awareness, mitigation, adaptation, and resilience in the face of climate change. And I think this notion of adaptation and resilience is really important now because we're not going to really avoid climate gas. It's here now. Even mitigation seems to be questionable. If you look at all the ridiculous talk at COP26, So we really need to be thinking about adaptation and resilience. And so that's part of our mission. Specifically, there's four goals. The first one is to help build internal awareness of climate change responses within the museum community, because still there are a lot of museums who don't seem to be doing the reading and paying attention. The second goal is to support museums in strengthening public awareness and mitigation and adaptation to climate change. The third is to mobilize museums as participants and activists in public discourse on climate change. And the fourth is to empower museums to lead by example by providing tools and resources to do so. So those are the four major goals. And part of that overall plan was then to develop a website. And we've been through two iterations now of the website. The website and social media are primary means of communication. So before we get into more of the coalition's activities, what do you see as the barriers in terms of how museums function as institutions to them taking up the kinds of actions that you would want them to? That's an important question because there are structural barriers. I think the first thing that we have to concede in the museum community, that most museums, you know, probably 95% of them are deeply entrenched in broader histories of colonialism, globalization, and capitalism. 
and as such, they're closely bound up with many of the forces that have now led the planet to the brink of ecological collapse, to the separation of human and non-human life, to the marginalization and oppression of indigenous peoples, and the celebration of narratives which are dependent on unlimited economic growth. In other words, museums are mainstream institutions, and we're as responsible for this as any other institution. Despite all the efforts to the contrary, the traditional commitments to preservation, interpretation, and education in the museum community remain largely unchallenged. And that's what you're going to get as the main menu for most museums. We preserve, we interpret, and we educate. That has to change. But what are the challenges to this? I mean, what are the obstacles? Well, I think the first thing is that museums got to start to rethink their vision, mission, and values. Museums are always preoccupied with what they do and how they do it. But few, if any, museums ever ask, why are we doing what we're doing? In my experience, and I was a consultant for 14 years, too, where I introduced this notion of why, as soon as you start asking why, it leads to questions about ultimate purpose, meaning, and values. And part, then, of rethinking the mission and values is starting to ask some of the big questions, like, what changes are your museum trying to affect? What solutions will you generate? And what are your non-negotiable values? So I think those are two steps right there. And those are both internal obstacles because museum missions remain largely old-fashioned and very few museums ask these big questions. A third internal obstacle that needs reformation is the governance of museums. It needs to reflect the community. To get on a museum board, especially a prestigious museum, it depends on how much money you have, what position do you have in society, how much money you're going to donate. And that's really reducing or even eliminating the museum's civic reach. Museums need civic roots to thrive, and local relationships are the soil in which these roots grow. So museum governance really needs to broaden and become more inclusive. Another big problem in the museum world is leadership. Museums have uncritically adopted this sort of corporate model where you have this all-powerful lone CEO, and it's really not working. It's outdated. Because right now, in terms of all the complex issues that museums face, that society face, leadership really benefits from the group as a whole and not just this idea of a lone CEO is supposed to know it all. So we have to start experimenting with new leadership models. But most boards are really gun-shy about changing this CEO model. Directly related to the idea of new leadership is new organizational design, because I said earlier museums have adopted this rigid sort of corporate siloed hierarchical model, and it's really not working very well. And I'm a great believer in self-organization, where you delegate the authority and the responsibility to the most local level in the organization where they can get the work done and get the work done well. But again, there's very little talk about new organizational design. Another one would be this notion of personal agency. And by this, I mean the capacity of staff to take action in the world, irrespective of their problems. But it seems in most museums that staff are sort of expected to check their brains at the door, check their life experience at the door. But in my experience, there are an enormous amount of museum workers who are keenly intelligent, committed, value-based. They have all sorts of life experience that could be brought into the workplace to strengthen the organization. Another big problem, we have collections policies, you have public use policies, you have rental policies, you have exhibition policies, but now museums are in need of an advocacy policy. Because such a policy, I think, would strengthen a socially responsible vision. And it would do it by delineating what issues are important and how the museum or the gallery will respond 
when confronted with moral and civic challenges such as the climate crisis. And it's time that museums and galleries recognize that they have ethical obligations. And I think there's two that are particularly important. One is being open to influence and impact from outside interests. And this is difficult for museums because they're quite insular and they're very weak at admitting that they might be vulnerable or they don't have all the knowledge. But they need to become open to influence and impact from outside interests. And having done that, they need to be responsive to citizens' interests and concerns. And maybe last, museums have to stop pretending that they're neutral voices of authority. They're not neutral and they've never been. They're social institutions within complex societal settings, and they need to reflect on that and determine what their responsibility should be. So in the face of these barriers, what are the core activities of the coalition to move its mission and goals forward? One of those core activities is the website where we exchange a lot of information, whether they're articles or videos or whatever, all the way from the practical sort of how-to level to green an exhibition, all the way up to how can you contribute to activist initiatives that are currently underway. We've established a strong online presence, including the website, like I said, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube channel. We continue to organize and conduct museum conference sessions on climate change. And I do several keynote presentations a year trying to get the word out. We developed a seven-part video series on museums and climate change in conjunction with the Alberta Museums Association and Chatelet Productions. And these videos are available free of charge on Vimeo. And they were designed to make museum staff more comfortable with the notion of confronting the climate crisis, but also of helping to start the conversation with their audiences. I think that's one thing that's really lacking now. A lot of, not a lot, I don't know how many really, but museums now are beginning to say, oh, we should do an exhibition on climate change. And that's well and good, but in my view, exhibitions are sort of a very passive, almost outmoded way of communicating. I think museums have to grab the bull by the horns and open up this conversation with their citizenry by having frank and intelligent and empathetic and constructive conversations with their visitors about what this climate chaos really means and how can we as communities and individuals begin to assume responsibility. We publish a lot. We just published an edited collection of the latest work on museums and climate change in the International Journal Museum Management and Curatorship. And we convinced the publisher Routledge in London to make most of those substantive articles free online for a limited period of time. And we really got a healthy response to those articles. I've done a series of climate change videos. The most recent one that was funded by the Norwegian Arts Council, I think, has been aired in 12 countries. And this morning, it was, if you can believe it, it was aired as part of the keynote opening of the Tehran Museum of Science and Technology's Conference on Environmental Change. We hosted a climate justice workshop for the Greater Toronto Area Museum Educators, and 50 museum educators participated in that. We issued a call to action to museum studies departments in 2019, encouraging them to engage in climate change awareness and adaptation and to make sure that their students know that this is an issue. So those are some examples of what we're up to. Are there any examples of museums in the Canadian context that you think are already doing interesting work in this area? Well, there are numerous newer buildings in Canada, galleries and museums, that are LEED certified. So they're doing a really excellent job trying to keep down their utility costs and their utility consumption. 
there have been various museums that have put out traveling exhibitions about climate change. The National Museum of Science and Technology called Ingenium, they've done that. But I don't really see anything radical and out front as we really require. I mean, say the Australian Museum, for example, has declared a climate crisis, and they've aligned their entire strategic plan and internal programming to address that. I haven't seen any sort of dramatic turnaround in any Canadian museums to really confront what we're talking about. They may be out there, they just may not be communicating. But I'm not aware of any truly exemplar role model in confronting the issues that I'm talking about now. If you were suddenly in charge of running a museum again, what practical steps would you take to respond to the climate crisis? I'd go back to those structural deficiencies that I mentioned earlier, and I would sit down with the board, all the staff, and as many stakeholders as possible, and I would redefine the vision and the mission by asking, why are we doing what we're doing? What changes are we trying to affect? What are our non-negotiable values? Because as soon as that conversation begins, you cannot avoid what we're talking about. As soon as those questions start to be asked, the light bulb goes on because people are essentially intelligent and responsible, and they're worried about these things. It's just that a lot of this anxiety is not allowed in the workplace. But as soon as you start asking that question, why, these issues surface. And then the question is, what are we going to do about them? And again, once you've asked those questions, then what about the advocacy policy? Okay, if these are really important to our institution, what can we do now? What issues are we going to confront and how are we going to deal with it? And I think almost invariably when you ask those questions, you're going to set out on the right path. Because, you know, museums, really, when you think about them, they're uniquely qualified to work on this issue. They've got a singular combination of historical consciousness I mean, a lot of museums say that their business plan is 500 years long in order to take care of the collections. Now, that's historical consciousness. Museums are grounded in community. You know, they have a strong sense of place. They're knowledge-based. They're publicly accessible. And unlike just about any other organizations in our society, they have unprecedented public trust. In fact, you look at some of these surveys about public trust, and museums are even respected more than the scientific community. And of course, online information, universities and governments are much lower ranked than museums are in terms of public trust. So when are museums going to honor that public trust? Because it's there. You alluded earlier to the embeddedness of museums in colonial histories. And I know that there is a long history of indigenous peoples pushing back against that. Is there anything that your work with museums in relation to the climate crisis can learn from that work to get museums to take up reconciliation and decolonization and indigenization? I think there is. I think it's based on this notion of collaboration. It's based on this notion of reaching out and not pretending as a museum that you know it all and that you're the authority on everything. And that means reaching out to the non-museum sector, reaching out to other nonprofits, reaching out to indigenous peoples and admitting that you're vulnerable and can do things differently. I mean, there was a crisis in the early 90s in the Canadian museum community when the Assembly of First Nations came to the Canadian Museums Association and they said, we've had enough, you know, we've had enough of how museums are treating us or not treating us and not representing our narrative and not allowing us to see or co-manage our collections. So a national task force was struck with about 15 Euro-Canadians, I was one of them, and about 20 indigenous peoples. 
And you look at that report now, and it was completely prescient. I mean, we talked these issues through, and we determined a whole set of recommendations that were needed to address exactly the questions that you asked. And lo and behold, the Canadian Museums Association went on to another issue. There was no follow-up. The recommendations sit there. And I can only say that the response to that report, which goes back to 1993, I think it was published, has been uneven across the country. Some museums really rose to the challenge, but I would say that it's still an outstanding issue. And I see now that the CMA has actually appointed a reconciliation officer, and they're going to go back into this work. But you look at that report and those recommendations that we came up with back then are still as strong and needed as they are now. But I can speak personally for the institution where I was when we responded to the recommendations of the task force, and we developed a long-term relationship with the Blackfoot Confederacy, with all the four tribes in the Confederacy, and 12 years later, it resulted in the largest repatriation of indigenous sacred objects in Canadian history, and that happened in 2000. We gave back 258 sacred objects to the Confederacy. And that was the culmination of this 12-year relationship where we got together, we admitted our interests, we admitted our vulnerability. It was a process of spending a lot of time together, building respect, building relationships. This can be done. You know, it's not rocket science. It's making the commitment to realize that we're all just human beings and we have mutual interests. So we've talked about what institutions need to be doing and what leadership at institutions could be doing. What about people with less powerful roles in the sector, like junior museum workers and museum studies students and just regular museum attendees? What can they be doing to push the sector in the right direction? One way to start that conversation is to say, well, you should write a letter to your children or your grandchildren or to your partner or to your spouse or to your closest friend and tell them what you were doing when the climate was unraveling in the early part of the 21st century. I think there needs to be that sort of sober reflection where we all begin to admit that we're sentient beings on the planet Earth and we have some sort of responsibility not only to the present, but to our children's and our children's children and their children's children. Pretty basic notion of responsibility. And I think the second part of that is if you recognize that, maybe this notion of personal agency will emerge where you think about your willingness and your ability to take action in the world to make it a better place. And I think museums fall down because I think there are a lot of young and emerging museum professionals and museum study students who have that sense of personal agency, but the institution does not allow it. A lot of people are searching for constructive ways to begin, and that's where museums is public storefronts, 55,000 of them in the world. There's no other public storefront like it. They need to create the context and the environment and the situation where these conversations can happen in a sort of non-threatening and constructive environment. But for the most part, museums haven't gone that far yet. They're still talking about doing exhibitions rather than dealing with people directly. And I think that's got to change. You have been listening to my interview with Robert Jaynes of the Coalition of Museums for Climate Justice. To find out more about the organization, go to cmcj.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. 
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.